Hello, welcome to our fourth Breakfast Bible Time with Rob. Please sit down and join me as we continue our study of the Holy Spirit. At our last breakfast together, we saw that the Holy Spirit was the vital agent that enabled the Lord Jesus Christ to minister to mankind in his humanity during his earthly ministry. That agency began with the incarnation of our Lord, where for the first time in history, the Holy Spirit united divine and human nature in the Lord Jesus Christ. But never forget that the Lord's human nature was without sin. He never sinned. He had no sin nature. He was divine in that aspect. Now let us continue to see how the Holy Spirit enabled our Lord to minister during his days upon the earth. We know very little about our Lord's daily life from the time he was born until he was 30 years of age. God gives us only a brief account of those first 30 years and only in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Now, Luke breaks that period of time into two segments. The first is infancy to 12 years of age, and the second, 12 years to his adulthood at approximately 30 years of age. That first segment is summarized in verse 40. And the child, literally young child, grew and waxed strong, that means increased in spirit, filled with wisdom, perhaps a, a better term than wisdom would be knowledge of very diverse matters. That means, yes, he learned math and he learned his English, I mean his Aramaic grammar, and all the other things that a young child would. And then we read, and the grace of God was upon him. Here Luke speaks, if you will, as a pediatrician who was analyzing the natural physical and mental development of the child Jesus. Notice in chapter 2, there's no mention of any acts of divinity. In fact, when there is no mention until we get to the Gospel of John, where he describes and calls it the first miracle of the Lord in John chapter 2, verse 11. So spiritually, Luke only speaks of God's grace being present during his development. So from infancy to adolescence, Jesus, like all children, grew physically, learned obedience to authority, and he obtained the basic skills of life needed in Israel of his day. Now at 12 years of age, in his adolescence, Dr. Luke gives us two additional insights into the child Jesus in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 53. Notice he calls him Jesus, child Jesus. He wants to emphasize humanity. Now, just as in the first segment, it spoke of the Lord's humanity, so too this second segment of time reveals a turning point in the Lord's humanity. In chapter 2, verse 41, we read that his family went up to Jerusalem to the feast of Passover. In verses 42 and 43, we see that Jesus, now 12 years old, is seen in the temple 
having a discussion with the doctors of law in verse 46. These doctors of law, they were skilled in both legal and spiritual laws and were considered the intellectual giants of the day. In verse 46 we read, And it came to pass that after three days they, his parents, found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Now, unlike the average child, the doctors find him a brilliant student, and they were, in Luke's words, astonished at his understanding, that's his grasp of their teaching, and answers. And again, a better term instead of answers would be at his replies. Think about this, a unique discussion between doctors of law and an adolescent. This was truly evidence of the Lord's learning and spiritual development by the age of 12. When found by the Lord's earthly parents, he remarks that he must be about my father's business in verse 49. Through this, the scriptures indicate a maturing and turning point in the Lord's development as a young man. Notice very carefully that Luke refers to the Lord only as Jesus and doesn't add his title, Messiah Christ, which would reflect his earthly position, that he will be serving the Lord in adulthood, nor as Lord, which would be a term of divinity. Luke does this to emphasize again the Lord's humanity. He also notes the Lord's subjection to his earthly parents, again emphasizing his humanity. I hate to keep pounding this in, but that's going to be crucial in understanding many events recorded in the Gospels. The humanity and the divinity were united, but always present and we always need to carefully note, and that will help us explain some questions we might have as we read a few verses. Was it humanity or his divinity? Now, we read in verse 51, And he went down with them, that's his parents, and came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. <clears throat> as we think about this incident at the temple, we might be quick to say, I'm not surprised. Certainly Jesus Christ would amaze them, for he's God who knows everything. But rather, again, these two incidences, the emphasis is the result of the incarnation, the humanity of our Lord. Yes, this was a turning point in Jesus' human development, for he now recognizes clearly a relationship with his God, in his humanity. Unlike the average Jewish boy who would have been taught to address God the Father as our Father, Jesus calls him my Father in verse 49. No Jew would say my Father, for that was too presumptuous of him and he had been told never to call him my Father, but our Father. We see this reflected years later as the Lord is teaching his disciples to pray, he instructs them to say, notice, our Father which is in heaven. He didn't say, my Father. It is at this time now we come to this turning point in history 
where the 12-year-old Jesus, in his humanity, recognizes God the Father and his unique relationship with the Father. <clears throat> Luke then summarizes 18 more years in verse 52, suggesting that those years of human experience were needed to equip the Lord for his public ministry, being aided always, all the time, by the help of the Holy Spirit. During those years, Luke summarizes them by saying that Jesus increased in wisdom and statue and in favor his human relationship with God and man in verse 52. During those years, Jesus had learned a trade, becoming a strong and powerful carpenter of Nazareth, according to Mark 6.3. Literally, he grew in grace with God and man. That's full growth as a human. Jesus went from being an adolescent to being an accepted and a respected carpenter in Nazareth. Notice, he wasn't a theologian or a scribe, a Pharisee, a Sadducee, a great religious leader. <laughs> no, he was a carpenter who had learned by experience how to be an adult human. Additionally, his adopted father, Joseph, has died during that time which allowed Jesus to learn responsibility by providing and caring for his widowed mother day in, day out during those 30 years. He knew life as we do, only without sinning. By experience and the control of the Holy Spirit as comforter, now later the Spirit is called the comforter, meaning one called alongside to help. He now is equipped to begin his formal ministry to save his people from their sins. For Luke writes later in chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I believe it's important at this point to remember that at no time was the Lord less than God. He was and is and will always be God. During his walk upon earth, he voluntarily chose not to exercise certain attributes of deity so that he could fully experience and identify as man. He never gave up or is sometimes termed emptied himself of his divine nature, as suggested by many when they refer to Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Let's, let's read those verses. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, literally, this is in the Greek, laid aside, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Notice the emphasis in these verses on form, which means the external appearance and does not mean a loss of some aspect of a person's character or nature. 
He did not learn, lose his God divine nature. He retained that. What he did was to take on the human nature. From the incarnation to today, and yes, forever, Jesus Christ is the infinite God-man, fully God, fully man. Therefore, we conclude that during those early years, Christ laid aside the exercise of his divine nature and power in order that he would be able to learn by experience what it is like to grow up as a human, including dealing with problems, frustrations, <laughs> yes, other people. Interestingly, Adam, as created in the garden, was a perfect human being with no sin nature at his creation. He was made in the image and likeness of God, according to Genesis 1.26, but he lacked divinity. So in many ways, not all, he was similar with respect to humanity as was the Lord. Now, doesn't this suggest, perhaps, from the beginning of humanity, God intended man to live dependent upon divine help, even in his perfect state, to depend upon divine help to accomplish God's purposes in Adam's life and our lives. John suggests that the Lord Jesus Christ was dependent upon his Father in John chapter 14 and verse 10, where we read, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. We need also to remember what the Lord said in John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. You see, for us, we're totally dependent upon God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, if we are to serve him properly in a godly way. Now, having recorded our Lord's growing up years, Luke now is ready to introduce the earthly minister of the Lord in chapter 3. For during those 30 years of growing up, he had led an ordinary life as a carpenter, but all changed at the divinely appointed event of the Lord's baptism. Once again, the humanity of the Lord is demonstrated as he is identifying himself with sinful men just as his first 30 years did. Recorded by Matthew in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we read, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This was a new beginning for Jesus. 
not a turning point from sin and repentance as others being baptized, for he had never sinned, but marking a break from his life as a carpenter and beginning his ministry as Messiah Christ. The Father publicly declares that by the baptism, the righteous Jesus truly identified himself with sinners through his love for them. At this time, we see the three-in-one God, the Trinity's involvement. The Father has told us in John 3.16, the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Further, God had prophesied this event to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1, and in Isaiah 61, verse 1. So too God told John the Baptist in John 1, 33 and 34, that the one upon whom the Holy Spirit descended and remained on would be the Messiah and the Son of God. In using the symbolism of a dove, God the Father characterized the Holy Spirit as being swift, gentle, peaceful, powerful, loving, a picture of what he can bring to us as he indwells all who truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior during the church age. Note carefully, the Spirit did not come into him but rather came down as an anointing him with a special endowment of power and authority for his now beginning public messianic ministry of preaching, teaching, healing, exorcism, and many other aspects that was now to begin. In chapter 4 of Luke, in verse 14, we are told, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and then there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. Before the baptism, he was Joseph's son. Now there was a convicting power in his preaching and his words. Power as he cast out demons by the Spirit of God, according to Matthew 12 and verse 28, where we read, But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. The general thrust of the statements of Scripture seem to be that his entire ministry was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, what are the practical values of this to us? Well, number one, if the infinite God-man needed the ministry of the Holy Spirit to carry out God the Father's plan and purpose, how much more do we? Never forget, Jesus did not begin his ministry until he received the anointing of the Spirit. Now, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Spirit comes and indwells you immediately. But the anointing is a different thing. I think we need to stop and think about what anointing means. It's an action by God whereby he chooses someone anyone, you or me, to carry out a task that fits within his plan and purpose at a specific time in our life. 
I need to make this I need to make this very clear. I'm not talking only to pastors and missionaries and Christian workers. No. God will use every true believer who willingly and ask God to direct them and to use them as his servant. He will empower you to do it for it will be if it's his will and not yours or mine. While there is a use for education, acquired skills, natural endowments, gifts that God can use, we can only use these and succeed if we depend solely upon his power, the leading of the Holy Spirit, and not our own way of doing it. Furthermore, it's only with the enablement and guidance of the Holy Spirit can we please God and carry out his purposes and plan. One of my favorite verses, and never forget it, Christ said, apart from me, that's Jesus Christ, ye can do nothing. Don't fool yourself into thinking, I have the indwelling Holy Spirit in his power, therefore I'm immune from suffering problems, from failure, from temptations, from whatever. No, look at John the Baptist's life. He experienced things. Furthermore, just as Jesus grew through experiences of life and those, those temptations, those problems, etc., so too was me, we must. Finally, walking with and following the leading of the Holy Spirit does not guarantee success as the world will measure it. But following God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit will guarantee success as God measures it. Now until our next breakfast with Rob, when we'll try to see some of the applications of how to apply the guidance and the filling, the controlling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, may our great God and Lord Jesus Christ bless you mightily. And I will see you either here or in the air. <laughs>